It is Friday, so I hope you have a great weekend in front of you and that you will be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ whenever the Lord's Day rolls around. Uh, everybody needs to have a home congregation, and everybody needs to be with that group on a regular basis, worshiping together, singing together, praising, praying, serving, learning, all the things that are part of the assembly that gives us solid spiritual life together. So if you don't have a home congregation, then you need to go out there and find one. And if you are in that active process of looking for a place, and you happen to be within driving distance of the Elkhart East building, please come check us out. Maybe we can be the place where you can settle down and call it home. Let's get to our study by opening to 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse 17 as our starting place today. Remember, Paul is writing this letter, I believe, sometime in the later summer of 63, after he's finished with his imperial review, and now he's doing some of the church visitation that he'd indicated he wanted to do once that was finished. Uh, so he's back in the area where he did his second and his third missionary journeys. He's actually in Macedonia right now, and he's writing back to Timothy at Ephesus. And he wants Timothy to make sure that the leaders in the church at Ephesus are solid, that the service leaders are solid, uh, and that Timothy himself is setting a good example for the people, and that he's sharing the Word of God and using good biblical practices in leading the church and in helping the church grow and mature. When he gets to 517, he has in mind uh, the spiritual leadership again that we saw described back in chapter number 3, uh, but now he has in mind what needs to be done on their behalf. So, 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, the elders here is the technical sense of spiritual leader. Remember I told you at the beginning of this chapter the elders were more generic, uh, gentlemen that were over the age of 60, or excuse me, over the age of 50. But here, it is the leadership that he has in mind. And you can kind of tell that a little bit by the word that comes next, those who rule well. Uh, now, it's not, I'm the boss and you have to do what I say. That's not the rule that we've got in mind. The word literally means those that stand before those that go before. So they are the leaders by example. They are the leaders by being present uh, in the congregation and giving what is needed to move forward. Uh, so when you've got elders like that, shepherds, uh, bishops like that, 
then they are worthy of being honored. They are worthy of being respected. Uh, But Paul says uh, they can be worthy of double honor, which seems to be a reference to being paid. Now, we know uh, that we have in most congregations uh, people who volunteer without pay to do some of these leadership jobs and to do some of these um, service leadership jobs. And that's great. It's, it's a way that the church can benefit without any additional output of finances that are finite. I mean, we've only got so much money coming in. And uh, that was actually the topic right before this, wasn't it? Uh, Paul says, you got to make sure you scale back on the physical support, the financial support of widows in the congregation, because there's only so much money to go around, you understand. Well, here he says, when you've got elders that are doing a good job, some of them are going to be worthy of this double honor. And then he says this, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I relate to this passage because this passage describes my situation. I am a shepherd preacher, shepherd teacher, and I help uh, I help lead uh, the members of the congregation where I'm at uh, through example and through personal encouragement. But I also spend a lot of my time doing the preaching and the teaching. Uh, Pretty much uh, every sermon uh, that's delivered, every adult Sunday school class, every Wednesday night class, that's me. And so I don't have any other job. I get paid by the church, which allows me to put my focus on studying the Bible a lot and then being able to formulate the teaching and the preaching of that information to the people at the church. So Paul says, you need to show respect to the spiritual leaders in your church, but especially you need to be doing this double honor for those who are spending all of their time doing the preaching and teaching stuff. And so he's clearly talking about finances now. Verse 18 makes that exceptionally clear. He says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while or when it treads out the grain. And this comes from Deuteronomy 24, verse 4. Uh, but Paul has already used it in 1 Corinthians 9. And he uses in the context that those that preach and teach as their, as their vocation should be paid. Uh, then... Uh, and, and it's uh, illustrated by the idea that when they were uh, taking the grain and processing it, they would take the stalks of grain and they would lay them on a flat, hard surface. And then they would have usually an ox-drawn threshing sledge taken back and forth over the top of those materials to break the grain away from the chaff. And the law of Moses given by God was 
don't you dare stop that ox from eating a little bit of what it's working for because it needs that energy, right? It should be able to benefit from its own labor. Uh, and then Paul kind of quotes from Jesus. When Jesus sent out his apostles and his disciples two by two uh, during uh, the later portion of the uh, second year of his ministry, he told them that they were not supposed to take any cash with them or any supplies with them, that instead they were supposed to go into a town and ask around as to where the, the most godly family lived and then go there and ask them to feed and house and support them while they're there. And then Jesus said, because the laborer deserves his wages. Uh, so uh, by giving full-time effort to the ministry of the word, Jesus himself said, those people need to be supported out of the ministry funding. And uh, Paul says that that is an imperative part of church financing. So all of you who belong to congregations, make sure you, you give your tithe, make sure you give generously into the, your church funding, and make sure your preachers are paid appropriately for all the work they're doing. And I can guarantee you, they will thank you for that. They will be so appreciative of not having to worry how they'll pay their own bills uh, while they carry out the Lord's work. Verse number 19 goes to the idea of what if they go bad? Now, you may remember that when Paul was coming through Ephesus uh, on his way to Jerusalem after the uh, third missionary journey was wrapping up, he, he didn't stop at Ephesus. He went past it to Miletus, and he sent quick messengers up to Ephesus, said, I, I need to talk to all the spiritual leaders. I want all the elders to come down here so I can have a conversation with them. And one of the things that he warned them about was he said, I am aware that after my departure, there will be trouble, even from among your number. There will be false teachers. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing, they're going to come up and spoil the church, cause trouble for the church. And Paul said, you elders need to watch out for that. You need to keep your eye on each other. Because this is a perennial problem. Um, anytime people get into positions of leadership that have any type of associated authority and sometimes honor that's attached to it, and definitely if it's got finances, a small percentage of that group is going to fail and give in to selfishness and uh, bad thinking. And so Paul says, if that happens, this, this is the procedure you're going to have to follow. Verse number 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, 
the elders still need to be given due process according to church discipline. You don't throw somebody out of leadership because one person made an accusation against them. That's not good enough. You still need the balance of two or more believable witness accounts against this person. Now, verse 20 says, as for those who persist in sin, so if you've got a leader that won't back off the bad procedure, the bad teaching, the bad behavior, then you've got to follow through with getting rid of them uh, because you can't have bad leadership because bad leadership promotes bad Christianity in a church. So as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Uh, you know, a lot of the focus on church discipline in its different passages is focused on privacy. You know, Jesus uh, says, you know, if, if you have someone who you know sin, you go to them privately and address the issue with them. Uh, if they don't listen, you bring back a couple more with you, address them again in private, and try to deal with the issue. And the whole goal along the way is to try to keep the turmoil from getting out in the public so much. You know, uh, we would say airing the dirty laundry in public. If you've got a church leader, though, that has been spouting false teaching, if you've got a church leader that has been engaging in sinful behavior, that is a different, different sort of situation. That has got to be called out in the open, uh, not in public public, but in the family meeting so that everybody understands the things this person said are absolutely wrong. And it doesn't matter that they were in a position of authority when they said it. It was wrong. And we need to clarify this. Uh, and uh, this person was engaged in bad behavior. And it's, be it's come to our knowledge. And that is why they are now being removed from leadership. Because they no longer live up to the standard. Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, um, preachers or elders that have cheated on their spouses. Uh, that's not the sort of thing that you keep private. You've got to make it clear to the people, this person was removed from leadership for cause. There was a biblical reason for it. And uh, this will help stabilize the congregation again. Uh, because the congregation should rally around doing the right thing. Uh, and it will also, I think, uh, keep rumors and propaganda from uh, flying far uh, afield into the congregation, perhaps even contributing to a split of the church. Uh, and we don't want any of that. We always want the church of Jesus Christ to be healthy. And uh, if the problem arises in the 
church leadership, uh, that's not like a common cold sort of issue. That is like a cancer issue, and it needs to be dealt with aggressively. Politely, mind you, but aggressively. Verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. Uh, what Paul's doing here is he's making a, a, a very grand uh, point that this is important stuff. I'm standing in front of God the Father. I'm standing in front of Jesus the Son and our Savior. I'm standing in front of the angels of God that are charged with seeing to the needs of the saints that will inherit salvation. I'm, I'm standing in the witness of heaven itself with the Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm telling you, you've got to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Uh, one of the problems that all of us can fall into is that we sometimes don't want to be tough on the people we love the most and have respected the most. We want to cut them a lot more slack than people maybe that have been trouble in the past and uh, we're just having to deal with them again. It is not, I think, um, an accident that Paul has just been talking about church discipline being exercised against an elder. I think he's trying to say here, you have got to be open and fair across the board in putting God's principles into practice. Um, I'm going to give my own personal play on this. More than once, I have seen preachers who have cheated on their spouses being given the chance to come back as preachers later when it seems very clear from Scripture if you've cheated on your spouse, you are now disqualified from being an elder and from being a pastor teacher. You are done. You can still be of use in the church. I think you can still teach, but you can't be there in the official leadership. You blew it, and you blew it big time in front of people, and that can't be allowed. It's the passage here, rebuke them in front of the presence of all so that the rest may fear. And so I think Paul is basically saying here, be fair across the board. Just because you like him as a preacher, if he blew it, you have to apply the rules appropriately and fairly. Don't be a, uh, a person that takes face or is partial. Uh, in the Old Testament, it is interesting to me that uh, God comes right out and says, do not make judgment in the favor of rich people just because they're rich people, and here's the follow-up, 
don't make judgment in favor of poor people just because they're poor people. Because that's not fair either. You're supposed to be fair across the board. And so I think that's what he's trying to get across here in verse number 21. Uh, And then verse 22 is uh, something that might help avoid some of this. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That is, appointing people to leadership positions, making people into shepherd teachers, making people into the volunteer elders of a congregation, making people into the the deacons and deaconesses. Take the time to check them out before you make it official. Uh, That way, you might not have the problem later because you might you might, uh, in your investigation, find out that they've already got uh, some danger um, indicators. So don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. So don't make excuses for people to engage in sinful behavior. Don't give them a pass, especially just because they're in leadership or because you like them. Um, so as preachers, you know, we have to sometimes be tough on people that we like uh, because they're engaging in bad behavior. Uh, because if we don't call them on the carpet for it, then we're basically becoming partners in that. Uh, we've got a fancy word for it nowadays. We become enablers. See, we don't want to be enablers for bad behavior. We need to extinguish that sort of stuff. Keep yourself pure, Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, You know, don't let yourself get sucked into sin. Uh, Verse 23 sometimes feels a little out there. Uh, It doesn't even feel connected in some places. In fact, when I'm looking at my English Standard Version here, they put it in parentheses as as if it's a parenthetical thought. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh, Timothy apparently was what we would refer to as a teetotaler. Uh, He did not drink any type of alcoholic beverage whatsoever, Uh, even a watered-down version, which was unusual. That's not the norm in first century Jewish society. Now, understand, because some of you are already getting tense about this, drunkenness was always taught against, always preached against, always upheld as a sinful thing. But uh, abstinence was an unusual thing uh, in Jewish society. But apparently Timothy engaged in that, And Paul uh, tells him that maybe you should think about uh, doing some of the uh, recommended uh, recommended use of alcoholic beverages to help you feel better. And uh, it could be that Dr. Luke is recommending some of this. We know that the taking of small amounts of alcohol Uh, was recommended in medical literature of the past uh, for things uh, like 
uh, the symptoms of kidney stones um, or uh, gallbladder attacks and things like that. So I don't know for sure Dr. Luke was involved in this, but possibly. Um, and uh, Timothy would have, I'm sure, respected the Apostle Paul on this, on this advice that he was given. Uh, verse 24, the sins of some men are conspicuous. I mean, obvious, just blatant. Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Now, I, I think it's possible he's still thinking here about the problems among the leaders that could pop up. You know, sometimes when leaders go bad, it is just boom, clear. I mean, uh, it gets public and it is bad. But Paul is correct when he says, you know, sometimes it's gradual. You only find out over time that there's something not right. And so this would be even more of a good reason uh, to do a good check ahead of time uh, for anybody that goes into leadership. It, it, this would probably be a good time to recommend going back to chapter number three and reading all of those descriptors of the spiritual leaders, the elders or overseers, and the servant leaders, the deacons and deaconesses. Everything in that was about stability. And in both cases, uh, the advice was to check them out, not just simply from talking to them, but talking to other people and checking with the people that knew them well. And so this passage here would be helped uh, by that sort of thing. Verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So that's a much more pleasant thing to think about, isn't it? Um, some people, they are just overflowing with good things, good works. Everybody knows, oh, that's a good person. He's always doing good things. I love that guy. I love that lady. She's always saying nice things, or she's always surprising us with great things. Uh, and that's marvelous. Uh, but Paul also says, you know what? Even the people that try uh, to keep their left hand from knowing what their right hand is doing, even those people... Uh, you can spot them. You can see that even in their humility, even in their private carrying out of, about God's Word, it comes out. You can see it. And those are the sorts of people uh, that the church needs in order to get things done. Have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. Come back on Monday, and we'll get back into the Word.